The views and ideas expressed in this program are views expressly of the people sharing them and not of the anchor or that of this broadcaster. All persons, juristic or natural, are to be held responsible for their own representations offered on this program by their agents and not this corporation. Any and all consumption of our conversational substance is entirely at your own discretion. Please be advised that this program airs subject matter that has the potential to destabilize and challenge your intellectual equilibrium. If you are excitable, profound caution when consuming our subject matter is advised. Participation in this program is a voluntary enterprise and as such is expected to be considered and deliberated on. Kindly note that, just as the anchor is, all participants, guests and callers are encouraged to engage in this our freedom of expression and any of our civil liberties responsibly. Let's synchronize our watches. My time says it's 16 minutes after 8. You're listening to the second of two hours of Facts of Faith. And now for our feature, Faith of Our Leaders, we do have the famous, well-respected advocate, no, 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 Professor Tulisile Tuli Madonzela who is attached now to a university in Stellenbosch, the University of Stellenbosch. She's there to impart her nuggets of wisdom and her expertise through research and experience. She joins us now to walk us through her faith and what influences her. Professor Matonzela, good evening to you and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening, Maya, and good evening to the listeners. Thank you for this privilege. The privilege is all ours. To be able to get all the information from you in this fashion is very much uh, a privilege for us. Thank you very much, Prof. Now let's talk about it first and foremost. Are you a person of faith? Uh, Certainly. I am an unashamed Christian. And um, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But... I also think that I don't have the only truth, and therefore people who are Muslims are okay, Jewish, Baha'i, and all other faiths. Yeah. They're okay too. Okay. I, I like that you're saying you're an unashamed Christian. Which denomination do you belong to? Well, I was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, but I am now with the charismatic Christian Okay. All right. Does it have a name, that church that you belong to now? I'm ashamed that I haven't (laughs) been to church for a long time. But my church for a long time is Headful Christian Church in Pretoria. Okay. Okay. All right. So you're saying you were raised as a Seventh-day Adventist. Until when? When did you leave or walk away from Adventism? It was progressive. It started as a, uh, I think, a late teens. Okay. Uh, was just questions that, uh, unfortunately, my leaders could not uh, answer. The fact that Afrikaners felt that they were the chosen children of God, okay. and the Nuns Day, um, or rather, the Day of the Vow, yeah. was given to them by God. As a child, it, is, it didn't sit very well with me. Okay. So then when I went to university, I got introduced to Marxism and left 
Christianity and became totally atheist. Okay. Then I became agnostic. Then I became a Christian science. Then I became a Christian again. Yes. But when I became a Christian again, the nearest church to me was Hedfield Christian Church. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. Now, you, you seem to be associating Adventism with the Afrikaner. Why? No, 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 I didn't. Um, the only reason, I, no, I left Christianity, not Seventh-day Adventism. Seventh-day Adventists, they, the only difference between them and the other churches is that uh, they worship on Saturday and they believe everyone else is lost. I think at heart I'm still a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. To the extent that although I go to church on Sunday, I still believe that the seventh day yeah. is Saturday. Okay. That, that, that's a conversation perhaps we should have on another day, how how you would live those parallels. You believe the Sabbath is on Saturday, but you worship on Sunday. Perhaps we should invite you to talk to us about that uh, on another day. But I still want us to, to focus on now your journey of faith. You became a Christian and Adventist and then went into atheism, adversity, and then you became a Christian scientist and then back to Christianity. That, that, yes. That's quite a journey. Um, uh, what exactly influences you to change as you have changed? What influenced you, for example, to go to atheism? I understand Marxism. There are some Christian Marxists. What would have caused you to walk away from Christianity into Marxism, for example? Well, it was my quest for justice. I think from, from as early as my teenage years, I always felt that there's a better way of living together than the way we were living. I had questions about gender inequality and big questions about race inequality, then big questions about class. And when I went to university and also when I got into the struggle, I had this particular very good friend of mine, Ted Mbezi, who was the walking authority on Marxism. And Marxism, of course, had deemed religion the opium of the people. But we have to understand that Marx, Darwin, and everyone were theorizing. And as children or as young people, you get very taken without understanding that nobody has been to the ends of the world. And, and, And therefore, if you purport to be an atheist, you're then suggesting that you know everything that there is to know. For example, Christianity and just religion is the only science that has always known that there is an energy beyond what we know as atoms with them having protons and neutrons, etc. They've always known that things are interconnected somehow. And the rest of the world is catching up with it. And some of the things that I'm learning now on neuroscience about, for example, that the, the brain can change itself, um, Christians have always known that. And hence, Christians always knew that, for example, through prayer, you get healed. But that's all, again, working with your brain, and, and your brain and, and the rest of your body talks to each other, which today we now talk about those things as epigenetics. So what I think, as you grow older, you realize that you don't know the full truth. So you've got to be humble enough to be open to truth as they unfold. Yeah. At the very least, 
remain curious about things you don't know, but don't say this doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. And and, and I sus- I, I'm suspecting, and I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, it would appear as though your influences are theories that are logical and rational. Is that correct? Well, certainly, but I must also say that my influences also come from Ubuntu. And as, as you know that I am Gwini, a mixture of Zulu Swazi, and my parents were raised at the time when Ubuntu was so very much the philosophy of life for people around this part of this world. My father was born in 1915. My mom had been born in 1927. So you're talking about very old people. So I was raised with a very key understanding of the interconnectedness of humanity, the sacredness of all lives, but also the understanding that we are a single energy system. If I harm the one person, I'm harming myself. If I harm any creature unnecessarily, I am interfering with the balance of life. Yeah. I, I found some very interesting literature that is alleged to have been uh, from the pen of Karl Marx. And I don't know, I have never read it from a, a, a Marxist piece of literature. I read it from Leslie Holden and Anton Minard in the book that they published in 2015 um, uh, called uh, 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 Jesus in History, Legend, Scripture and Tradition. That was published in Santa Barbara. And I want to read something that they're suggesting is is from Marx. And I want you to tell me what you think. He, the, the, they say, Christ is the, inter- according to Marx, by the way, um, Christ is the intermediary unto whom man unburdens all his divinity, all his religious bonds. So the state is the mediator unto which he transfers all his godliness and his human liberty. Full stop, close quote. Do you know that quote and do you agree with it? No, I don't. But, you know, Marx and Angels centered everything around the state, which now we know is not true, because again, Marx didn't look at, for example, how life unfolded in Southern Africa, where there was never feudalism, there was no industrialization before. There was no uh, state as we know it. You're right. Yeah. So, but their theory is everything was egalitarian until the family was the first source of oppression that was created, and once the, the family was created, no, firstly, private property was created, and in response to private property, we had the family. Then the state, in their theory, the state only existed to protect private property. But when you now think about how societies have evolved, you now just realize that that's not true. Private property is not the only reason why societies come together to regulate their affairs. You can see that among the Khoisan, who don't have much property, but yeah. there's a regulatory system. You can see that among the Amazons, but you can see it in the wild, among the elephants, among the lions. There's no private property. That's but right. When, when things coexist, there is an, a system emerges 
for regulating freedom, for making sure that my freedom does not con- constrain your freedom and your freedom does not constrain mine, that we, we, we have equal spaces to be free, but also to be constrained so that others can also be free. Yeah. So as I grow older, I, I mean, I used to just swallow Marx as Marx came. But I must indicate why Marx spoke to me. And it's probably why it spoke to a whole lot of people. It was a quest for justice. Because Marxism came with egalitarianism. And this was before we introduced to other theorists, like, for example, the inventor of the term social justice, Mm. Luigi Tamparelli, who was a Catholic. So we were not introduced to Luigi Tamparelli. We were introduced to Marx, so we gravitated towards that. And we didn't, at that stage, understand that Marxism is not the only way for creating a society that is founded on respecting the humanity of every person. Okay. All right. I want to open the lines for you before we continue so that any and everyone who would like to join in the conversation and ask you some questions about your faith can do so. And we'll get into other aspects of the application of the professor's faith in her life as we have seen it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please do so. Send a WhatsApp voice note, send a text message, put a call through to the studio. The lines are 011-714-2006. Again, 011-714-2006. Call in and tell us what you'd like to say about um, our conversation. We're talking about the professor's faith. If you prefer to send a WhatsApp voice note, you can send that voice note to 0614-104-107. Again, 0614-104-107. Now, let's let's talk about um, the application of your faith and all of that. How do you respond to somebody who's suggesting that perhaps you may be uh, a syncretist? You believe in syncretism, this idea, this theory that suggests that you can just put all of these faiths and belief systems together into one and call it whatever you want to call it, syncretism. Do you do you subscribe to syncretism? Well, I believe in God as a unique God and I believe that my way of worshipping God is the Christian way. I, I understand. When, when it comes to the other faith, yes, I believe there's only one God, but different people have been introduced over historical times to different ways of understanding God. So I'm not going to say they're invalid, because as I've said to you, Naye, I've not been to the ends of the world. I know my truth, but I'm not going to say that's the only truth and nothing but the truth. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the reason why I'm asking this question is uh, you you don't denounce anything, and yet the faiths themselves do acknowledge themselves as the absolute truth from whatever deity they believe in. Christians, by the way, believe in monotheism, and they believe there is no other God but their God. Same applies with the Muslim believer. They believe Allah is the one merciful God. There is no other. And then you find the Hindus that believe there are many other formulations and incarnations of God. And you go to the Greeks, they have a God for this and a God for that. And the list goes on. How is it that you're a Christian, 
and yet you believe in the proliferation of different deities. Okay, let me clarify again, Naye, and I'm glad that you're asking that question in case other people misunderstood. I believe there's only one God. So how God gets worshipped is how different people understand God. But God is one. There's not like 50 different gods or a million different gods. Secondly, the Judeo-Christian faith believe in one God. It's just a question of they, they have different names for him. Because you will recall that, for example, Judaism uses the Torah is pretty much similar to um, the first few texts in the Bible. That is Judaism. Uh, and then, if you look at the Torah, uh, not the Torah, the the Muslim version, I'm trying to remember what is it. The Muslim version is also pretty much, they, they trace their religion to Adam and everyone else, etc. And then they differ in terms of how they come to God. So I don't believe... Uh, that there are many gods. I believe there's only one God. But how people understand that God, how people relate that, to that God, it depends on, 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 on them. And most of it is actually is historical. It just depends on how people have weaved their cultural practices and included them in God. I mean, if, if Christians, for example, we celebrate Jesus Christ's birthday on Christmas Day. Jesus was not born on Christmas Day. That that Christianity has been weaved together with some pagan practices that happened in Rome, because when the Bible was written, you will recall that it was the Romans that took over that particular process. So I'm not going to argue with people about what do they call God, but I believe there's only one God. What we call him is not going to change the nature of God. Okay. So Hindus are wrong when they are saying there's more than just one God. I think they are wrong, but again, <laughs> that's my truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in, in case they have evidence to the contrary, I sent to be persuaded. Okay. Until then, I think there's only one God. Yeah. But the names of God, even in the Bible, there are various names of God in the very same Bible. I remember one friend of mine once actually picked up about, I think, 50 names of God yeah. in the Bible. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, let, let's let's stick to the Bible that you believe in there, Prof. Um, your Bible suggests that this one God that you believe is one, when he creates or when it creates or when they create Moses writes that as a plural he says let us how is that a monotheistic faith how is that one God if that God in his own utterances says there's an us how do you explain that prof well as a Christian I believe in the Holy Trinity that is there's only one God but um is the same as us as humans. We solid, we are spirit, and so God is is, um, is is God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. But there is only one God. But we don't it's say eternity. it's an us. When I'm referring to myself, I don't refer to myself as an well, us. I'm a singular, not a plural. Really, 
Naya, I don't know if you're Zulu or Swazi. I'm Kosa. We refer to ourselves as us because we recognize that we carry in us the spirits of all of those who went before us. And that's quite interesting because that's what our ancestors believed in. But now, having discovered DNA in the 70s, we actually realize that it is indeed true that we carry the memories of everyone who's who's gone before us. So yes, for me, it is us. And, and I say, uh, okay. Like how do you, when how I do you, see you? I don't say Saubona. Yes. I say Sanbona. Yes. And yes. You want. Yeah, but there is a Saubona and and Ngi, the NGI there. When you are talking about yourself, Auti C. No, I'm leaving now. I know. <laughs> when you ask me Auti Ninjani, yes. Lulu, I say Ninjani. When there's one person. I, I agree. I, I agree. That is that, that that is a way that is it is done. You're actually correct there, Prof. But what I'm asking is how other people do it. There are people who are saying Yahama Manch. Well, yeah, I think it depends in the spiritual context, but when you're talking about life and and serious things it's always me because you recognize yeah. that you're more than just a, a one dimensional okay. being. But going back to God, when God says we yeah. uh, God in if you look at the Bible, um the, he, although he's a monolithic God, but at times it's we, most of the times it's I. Yes. Because it is a multi dimensional energy system and I see God as an energy and okay. a multi dimensional energy. Okay. So when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and many other times when he prayed to the Father, it is God praying to himself. Is that what you're suggesting, Prof? Yes. And that's quite interesting that you should ask me that because I had a long conversation with my son there uh, very recently about how I understand the relationship between God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. I do think that there's a hierarchy. Even though God is, is, is multidimensional, um, I, I, again, I cannot say I understand fully yeah. everything because I just think as humans, the truth keeps revealing itself as we dig deeper into who we are, why we're here, and why God, or why the energy, life, God, whatever you call the energy that plays us yeah. yeah. why it did so. Um, so I do think that there's a hierarchy in that, that God the Father is the Father, because and, and this was my conversation with my son, where I was saying, when uh, Jesus said, the one who sent me, he didn't say, I sent myself. So he would say, the one who sent him was okay. God. Okay. Yes. All right. Now let's talk about now your faith in practice there, Prof. Um, and uh, much of what we're talking about is during your time as a public protector, and that's when w- you gained notoriety, and we got to know much about Tuli, the famous Tuli Madonzela. What what influenced you then? Was it just the law, or did your faith influence you in the work you did during your time as the public protector? Absolutely. 
three things influenced me there. The first was my sense of justice. The second one was my sense of Ubuntu because I was raised within that framework of shared humanity. And and of course, um, the, the third issue was, um, well, I said justice, shared humanity, and, and my faith. Okay. And my belief that, that I was there for a purpose. It's quite interesting that uh, that story has been appropriated. In my, when I first came as a public protector, and then I had my first backlash after the South Lisey, I was at an event, and a young woman, she must have been in her early 20s, just asked me uh, how I am coping with the backlash. And then she said to me, you must understand, ma'am, I think she would say to see, see them, that, you know, um, you are as smart as any other person. They might even be smarter people. You are a lawyer like any other lawyer. You are a hard worker like any other hard worker. There might be even more people that work harder than you. And you've got to consider why God has allowed you to be there. And then she told the story of Esther, that Esther, when Esther went in there, chosen from among many yes. options, it just landed. Yeah. The turn just landed on her. But at that stage, she didn't know why her okay. until the time came. And I took that message from this young person to heart. And I always thought, especially when I had to judge against people that I had known as comrades and I had known as leaders and people I had known as friends, I just recalled that perhaps it was the, the, the reason I was there at, at that time. Yeah. And it was important for me to always remember that I shouldn't ask who's right and who's wrong, I should ask what is right or wrong, okay. and secondarily, then the people, because it doesn't matter whether the wrong person is Koko Tanini, yeah, yeah. the wrong person is the president. Okay. It's all about justice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It, it's it's very interesting that you should bring in the issue of Esther. Um, perhaps we should just chew on it and mix it with what happened in the past week or so. The story of Esther, um, for perhaps many of the people who may not be aware of it, this is a young girl who was taken from her a cousin or uncle Mordecai to be uh, in a pageant, in a beauty pageant, where the king <laughs> is going to judge. <laughs> you, you just picked it up now, ne? <laughs> Where you're going. Yes, yes. She was. She went to that uh, the pageant to 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 see if she can win the king's heart. Unfortunately, there, all of these girls that were taken there, they all wanted to be the queen after Vashti was dethroned by the king for wanting to keep her clothes on. Vashti was called by the king, the first wife, to come and demonstrate her beauty and some scholars are suggesting it was because he, the, she, the king wanted her to walk around naked or semi-naked and she said no i will not and for that reason the king was upset and he was under the influence of alcohol and the counsel that came from his counselors was ch- ch- chase her away and now we have these other women who want to take up the role of vashti after vashti was taken away and they all went for the beauty contest and the winning ticket was 
if you please the king through sex one night with the king. And now that's my question there. Do you really believe in the story of Esther as a good story to exemplify anything that is moral there, uh, Professor? I don't know which Bible do you read from, <laughs> but uh, my Bible does not have the sex part. Uh, it has the part about pride being the fall of Vashta yes. and uh, humility. And of course, uh, uh, combined with beauty, being, but beauty of the heart inclusive, uh, being the rise of Esther. But to answer your question directly, no, I do not believe that women should be uh, seen as only in this world to please men. Sex is something good between consenting parties, and it is about two parties pleasing each other. And that's the same among humans. It's the same among animals. Yeah. Uh, so I do not believe that any deserves more pleasing, any of the consenting grown-ups okay. deserves more pleasing than the others. Okay. But what I held on to uh, from that was when God allows you into spaces, don't be proud and start thinking you are the peacock, you yeah. are there because you know better than yeah. others. It's just it could have been anybody, yeah. and you are there by the grace of God. So that, for me, that's what I believe. Okay, be, by all right. By the grace of God, and there was a purpose to my being there. Yeah, yeah. To, to respect your question there, um, uh, uh, Prof, I want to read to you where I got what I was talking about. Um, Esther chapter 2, beginning with verse 2, Then the king's personal attendants proposed, Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins. For the king, verse two, verse three, let the king appoint commissioners in every province of uh, his realm to bring all these beautiful women, young women, into the harem. A harem, we know what a harem is, right, Prof? Yes, I do know what a harem at, is, but I want to know the sex yeah, part. Okay, it. at the citadel yes. of Susa, let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Verse 4, then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Well, I don't know whether my my church's interpretation and my biblical studies, I didn't do theology as a subject, okay. I did biblical studies at high school, and our understanding was pleasing the king didn't mean having sex with the king, meant aesthetically pleasing. Okay. The, the king, the, what the king, the one that the king chose is the most beautiful. Okay. And in fact, it's the first time I hear the interpretation that sexualizes the, the event. Yeah. Verse verse 11 um, uh, 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 says, Every day the, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of Haram to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Verse 12 reads, Before a young woman's turn came to go in to the king Xerxes, she had to complete 
twelve months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil, myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. There you have it there, Prof. It says, before, before a young woman turn, came to go in to King Xerxes, she had to go through this process. So, uh, yes. uh, you can read any, any interpretation, any, any version, any commentary, any Jewish scholar will tell you. That was not playing chess. I interviewed uh, a, a, a rabbi of rabbis here in Pretoria, and he did say, no, they weren't playing chess. It was actually carnal knowledge. They were having sex there. That's, that's what was meant by the one night with the king. But I was, I was simply showing respect to the question you were asking, which Bible am I reading? I, I'm, I'm reading the same one that you read there, Prof. Now, let's talk about the, the, the recent um, the beauty pageant row. How do you respond to all the back and forth that was happening on Twitter there? Well, I didn't see anything negative from Twitter other than they didn't like the dress that I bought at the Rwanda market. Okay. Uh, which was really sad because we are part of AFTA, which is the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Yes. And uh, the African ecosystem is our ecosystem. Before we think about Louis Vuitton and things like that, we still think about how do we feed our local ecosystem. And I expected a backlash because a lot of people don't know what happens in the patient world these days. So even I, it took a lot of prayer and it took a lot of convincing from Malcolm Gladwell and from John Rolfe for me to go there. And of course, they were not talking to me. It was just reading how they talk about how people enter spaces. And I started thinking about women, for example, like... uh, Michelle Obama, she's always been smart, she's always been doing great work, but it took her getting the platform of being first lady for us, number one, to realize what an amazing human being she is, and secondly, to give her our ears. So I, 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 I went there with the understanding that this platform gives women an opportunity to make a difference, either through starting a business or a social enterprise, but secondly, on advocacy on an issue of their choice. And when I got there, I was totally bowled over. I found that actually this industry has moved miles and miles and miles ahead. It, it does even better than uh, idols. We idols that you 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 giving these young wonderful people a platform to sing, but they haven't. Some of them may not have even started singing. Yeah, they recruiting these young women who already are doing things. Who and I remember one saying, she specifically entered this platform as a gateway yeah. to expanding her business opportunities and and getting a better platform for helping her community and the greater South Africa. And I found that. that that's exactly what's happening. It's a platform like any other. Um, I do judging of Fair Lady, Santam, Women of the Future. Miss S.A. is quite similar, although, of course, it takes it, it also takes into account beauty. And 
what's wrong with taking into account beauty? We take into account uh, brawn, isn't it? Yeah. The first reason we took uh, interest in 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 Jake's Matlawe, baby Jake's Matlawe, Matlawe, was not because he was cute and smart. It was because he could beat people up. <laughs> yes. Ali. So why should we uh, venerate um, talents that are traditionally associated with men? Yes. But given by nature, because beauty is given by nature, it comes from God. Okay. So if beauty becomes the starting point for us to see more of you, why not? Okay, all right. I perhaps we should invite baby Jake's Matlala to come and talk to us about his 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 take on the matter. But I want to I want to read some um uh, t- uh, WhatsApp texts and play some voice notes for you, Prof, so that I don't enjoy this conversation all by myself, and then um we can respond to them. One um WhatsApp text reads: Good evening, Naya. Uh, they must bring back. Okay, that's another conversation. The corporal punishment conversation. We're going to talk about that uh please ask tuli how can she say she's guided by her faith when she just said what ramposa did with palapala gate is not a crime all we know is that president doesn't run businesses to avoid conflict of interest would you like to respond to that prof i'm so glad they've asked this question because i think it's paining people because the average person thinks everything wrong in government is corruption so when you say something is not corruption, it frustrates people because their understanding is that every wrongdoing in government is corruption. And therefore, if you say something is not corruption, they read you to be saying then it's not wrong. So I've only said it's not corruption because corruption is abuse of entrusted power for personal gain. In terms of the prevention and combating of corrupt activities, Act number 12 of 2004, Corruption is when you dishonestly use the power you have to advantage somebody in order to gain something from that person. So that's the crime from you as the the person on the other side. You could be in business or you could be in government. Yeah. But it's also corruption for that other person to give you the gratification or to tempt you with gratification so that you can twist dishonestly your decision. So that could be somebody who gets an ID that they do not have, gets a tender that they do not have, a policeman to drop a case, a file to disappear, and things like that. So not all wrongdoing in government is corruption. It's wrongdoing. But so that's the first thing I've said here, that it wasn't corruption that you have money under your mattress. The second thing that I've said is that these are allegations so I was surprised when people were reading documents in Parliament saying the president did this, the president did that, the president did My understanding is that he is accused. What he has acknowledged at this stage is that this happened on his farm. Until we get the evidence and this matter is adjudicated, we don't know what was his role. So that's all I clarified. I didn't say this is not wrong. I said it's not corruption. <laughs> I also didn't say the president potentially didn't do anything wrong. I just said it's still allegations. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand what you're saying there, Prof. I understand. I think um, perhaps many people would love to hear any and everything, but 
what you have just clarified now because all of that what you've just clarified now gets to be said and debated in courtrooms here in the public platform we want to hear somebody saying he's wrong he's wrong why is the money there why are there dollars undeclared dollars in in his under his mattress but i totally understand what you're saying there prof i want us to go to lucky in pretoria east lucky writes i think from Professor Madonzela is trying to play it safe and maintain political correctness to avoid controversy. When it comes to God, there is only one I am, and that is the Lord of the Heavens armies. It could be that the religious aspect is not one of her strong points. That's like in Pretoria East. Would you like to respond to Lucky, Prof? You know, religion is a very controversial issue, and I don't want to dispute what my colleagues my colleague believes in, that's okay. I believe there's only one God, but different people call that God different things. For example, I'm of Zulu Swazi extraction. Yes. And I don't think that my ancestors are going to go to hell simply because they didn't call God Jehovah. They called him Veliman. Yes. Long before yes. uh, the, the white community came here, they believed in God, uh, but they worshipped God in a different way. And they called him what they called him. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Again, I I would love to interview them as well and hear how they appropriated this divinity that we have now been taught to be a Christ. But I do understand, like baby Jake Matlala and our ancestors and former President Nelson Mandela and many people, we are unable to. I'd love to speak to them, but we cannot. So... Uh, that's that. I want to play some voice notes. Sylvester, can we play those voice notes with the time remaining? Go ahead. Good evening, Nayem. Good evening to your guests over there. Since I heard them speak a lot about the Bible and other um, religious scriptures, in the Bible, there was um, an executioner, a person who would um, cut off the lives of the people who are found guilty of a particular crime. So now I would also suggest the same thing happen to schools when we say that instead of having an... All right, that one is on corporal punishment. We had the conversation about corporal punishment. People are still bringing in those conversations. Play the next one, Sylvester. Good evening, Nye and Mama Donzella. Nye, you have met my day or my life, my entire life today by having her online. So she has even strengthened my faith by what she's saying. Uh, no, I'm now unshaken and I'm <laughs> really, really appreciative of her. Thank you. God bless you all. Matlangu from Riverly. All right. Would you like to respond to Matlangu, Prof? Well, thank you, Matlangu. If I can strengthen somebody's faith in God, because I really do think that if we want to live a proper life, but also be a good influence to other human beings, it helps to be anchored in God. So I'm, I'm glad that that helped you. Again, I don't claim that the name I give God is the only name, but I do think that there is only one God. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Prof. Let's play the next one there, Sylvester. I just want to get it clear. As Ramaphosa cannot respond where he got the foreign money and 
how was it sold how who bought it how it was paid how can morally say it's not corruption or it's not theft or it's not stealing or something like that because there were people beaten and people went to namibia to hunt people how can morally say what is she's saying now that cannot be correct definitely something is wrong all right prop did you hear that I did, even though the colleague was a little bit soft. Yeah, very soft, yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying that if what happened is proven to be true, there's no immorality or even illegality. I have just said two things. One is the allegation that she put money, or there was money found under a mattress, no, not a mattress, under a sofa in your house, um, does not on its own amount to corruption. But secondly, that it's still a matter under investigation. The fact that there's money at my house does not necessarily mean I put it there. So I'm not here defending the president. If the allegations are proven to be true, then it's not just an immorality issue. It is a violation of the law and a violation of the Constitution. All right. Well, I'll leave it right there. Thank you very much for those answers and the clarity. Prof, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate your insights. Thank you. Okay, right. leave it right there. Hopefully, we'll have another chance to talk to the prof, perhaps on a public platform where we do our debates. It's 9 o'clock now. From me, Nayelu Pondwana, and the team, have a wonderful evening and Godspeed. <laughs>